current events program from a cultural perspective we find this program necessary because Hosea 4 6 states my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge but we as a people will turn this around Proverbs 4 7 states wisdom is the principal thing therefore get wisdom it's all about getting get an understanding again welcome to the program this evening with your host brother Elliot and brother Richard the number to reach us to join the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live at several locations. You can go to timeforanawakening.com, which is the homepage and catch the live stream. At that location, you can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash Time for an awakening to catch the live stream there. Also, you can join us at abitumi.com. That's A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I.com forward slash time for an awakening. They stream live, live out of Ghana. Or you can download the TuneIn radio app to any of your devices. The TuneIn radio app is a free radio app. In that TuneIn search engine, just type in time for an awakening. There you'll see the icon and you can stream the program live even into your car if you had the Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. Again, it's time for an Awakening Radio program with the live stream on the TuneIn app. Drop us an email at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Again, that's timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Time for an Awakening also has a fan page on Facebook. In that Facebook search engine, you can type in time for an Awakening Radio program. There you'll always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor, before you leave that page, just hit that like button. It's time for an Awakening Radio program with the fan page on Facebook. And time for an Awakening Media is also there, always full of the latest podcasts, the various programs on time for an Awakening Media. Interesting articles that you can read, download at later times, and share with your friends. Also check out that time for an Awakening Marketplace and our partnership with the BB Toomey. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Uh, various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So, again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 7.07 here on this uh mild Sunday evening here in the city of Philadelphia uh, May 14th 7.07 we're in the Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening tonight our special guest that is scheduled to join us activist, organizer and president of the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association in Memphis Tennessee, Mr. Tom Burrell is scheduled to join us tonight to talk about the struggle of 
black farmers around Mason, Tennessee, and around that Blue Oval project uh, to get a fair deal as the state takes land for the new Ford plant, for roadways and other access to the plant. Uh, we'll get an update on what has been going on down there with our farmers. Also get an update from Mr. Burrell on the lawsuit that was filed by black farmers against the Stein Seed Company, one of the largest seed producers in the United States. Uh, the lawsuit that was filed against them a couple of years ago in reference to selling fake seed to African-American farmers. Uh, we'll get an update on a lot of these things and talk with Mr. Burrell on other issues. And you can always join the conversation by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We'll be right back to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and, and our enemies. <laughs> Everybody is here. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 215- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked? Suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not where you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. 
Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot, Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m., for podcasting or live program scheduling. Hit us up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 7.13 here on this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia at 7th and Arch Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Elliot. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing a whole lot better than earlier this week. And, and uh, I want to, um, you know, give praise to, since this is a moment that, you know, everybody acknowledged um, as Mother's Day, give praise to, you know, the the the, the wound of, of our, our social our social struggle the wound of our existence as a people uh, to all those uh, mothers uh, who are present with us and who have passed passed on as, a, as being a part of our uh, personal family ancestors to just acknowledge that um, this moment is um, something that we should recognize over and over again in spite of. And uh, But for me personally, Elliot, the week is uh, looking good. And I'm looking forward when we're talking about <clears throat> mother and womb and, um, you know, being um, with Mr. Burrell, having this conversation with Ms. Burrell and around farming, I guess this is, is really apropos, right? Because um, without those seeds and, and, the, and the whatever products come from the ground, the earth and the water and all, uh, you know, the tilling and, and the care, um, we wouldn't be able, able to even have this conversation because we wouldn't have the substance to do it. So, Looking forward to the conversation also. Yeah, I'm glad to have uh, Mr. Burrell back with us. It's been a while since he's been on with us. So we'll touch, uh, uh, we'll go back and, and kind of uh, pick up some old information that we had when he was on before. But it's a lot of new things that have been going on since he's been with us. And uh, we're glad to have him back. Activist, organizer, and president of the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association out of Memphis, Tennessee. Mr. Tom Burrell is with us in conversation. Mr. Burrell, how are you, sir? Brother Elliot, I'm great. Good health and excellent spirits. And to Brother Richard, again, happy Mother's Day to you all and to your audience as well. But we're doing fine here in the thriving metropolis of Memphis, Tennessee today. (laughs) I hear you, Mr. Burrell. 
Mm-hmm. Mr. Burrell, before we kind of talk about um, what's going on with our farmers in that area, because I know that you're particularly concerned about that, uh, being that you represent uh, farmers in and around the Tennessee area. Talk about, because I didn't know, and, and we I mentioned this to you in private conversation, I didn't know until we we had uh, Miss Virginia Rivers on that had uh, that was the uh, the last vice mayor and that ran for mayor that you had attempted to run for mayor in Mason but was uh, 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 excluded from the ballot because they said your residency was uh, in question. T- talk about that uh, surrounding that, and also talk about what drove you to get involved directly involved in what was going on in Mason. Thank you for that question, Elliot and and Richard again. And let me answer the first question basically by answering the second one, if I can. Uh, In 1885, my great-great-grandfather migrated with his family from South Carolina to West Tennessee, uh, Tipton County, Tennessee, to a little town called Mason, Tennessee, which is not far from where Chicken George settled in Hennings, Tennessee, in an adjacent county. So my roots have been in Mason, Tennessee. My grandfather uh, was uh, was born in 1885. My father was born in Mason in 2004. And then I was subsequently born in Mason in 1949. So here again, I have a history of being in that part of the country in addition to some of the other things I've been involved in. And therefore, when there was this impetus for from the state of Tennessee, i.e. the comptroller, to uh, dissolve, as it were, the charter of Mason, uh, my friends, high school friends and others indicated to me that because of my involvement with the black farmers lawsuit and the achievements and the experience that I had acquired, as a result of those opportunities that I would be a good candidate for making sure that that charter was not taken. And more importantly, that the small uh, Mason community consisting predominantly of African-Americans would have a, a seat economically and otherwise at the new table, which is now the result of the state of Tennessee's largest single investment and Ford Motor Company's purported largest single investment to the tune of $5.6 billion in its efforts to compete with the electric vehicle opportunity, i.e. the Ford F-150. And that plant, this $5.6 billion, is adjacent to the town of Mason, Tennessee. And here we, the African-Americans, said, in addition to black farmers being discriminated against, in addition to others being discriminated against, here we come now to a third or fourth round of being, shall we say, systematically excluded from the economic benefits that this country has guaranteed to other similarly situated citizens. So that was my reason for getting involved. I did indeed meet the requirements But politics, as it were, there were efforts that said that my residency requirement had not been met. That was all uh, false. 
But the strategy was uh, after allowing me to run and after announcing the fact that I had met the requirements toward the end of or toward the election cycle when it was too late to change the voting, uh, uh, et cetera, ballots, the argument was, well, uh, we are going to call his residency into question, but the strategy was now that it's in question, we're going to frustrate and otherwise deny his ability to be able to succeed in the race. Notwithstanding the fact that we know that the local officials, who the elected officials who made the decision to deny me violated a longstanding requirement of notice. But here again, it was all designed because they knew that Thomas Morrell had a history of being effective in leadership, being effective in making sure that this government was doing right by the African-American community. Mr. Burrell, the, um, before, before I kind of start talking about the farmers and what's happening right now, uh, l- let me go back because I asked uh, Miss Rivers this when she was on. Because the town of Mason and I think the surrounding towns uh, are part of Tipton County, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh, the problem there of, of, of um, and it's not just Mason or it's not just in Tennessee. You can say that same thing with if you're talking about uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Baltimore. It's the problem of us being organized. Um how do you see uh, Mason being organized around not only this issue, but being organized as far as putting somebody in power, an elected office in that city that would look out for the interests of their own people? Because from what I understand, the, the, the guy that's mayor now uh, is an immigrant. And he's not black. He doesn't represent He's not the face. Of, he's the face of the the the, uh, the city now, but he's not the face. When I'm saying the face, I'm talking about the majority of the people there. So, what do you say necessarily about our people not being organized? Just looking at it in perspective. Well, you hit the nail on the head when you said it's not unique to Mason, Tennessee. Okay, and this is yet another example, and should serve further as to be a wake up call. Elliot and Richard, to the larger problem of disorganization. When we talk about <clears throat> our desire to otherwise be at the table of economic development, it's going to be hard for us to sit down at that table if we are, quote, unquote, divided. Uh, not to, to paraphrase the gospel, uh, Jesus Christ said, it doesn't matter whatever else is the case, every nation, every house divided against itself will be dissolved. It doesn't matter how good your rationale is, what's your reason for uh, division. The bottom line is you are, quote, unquote, divided, whether it's in Philadelphia, whether it's in Flint, or whether it's in Phoenix. You are not going to be effective. The question now becomes, in my mind, gentlemen, is why is there this history of a country being in this, uh, a nation of people being in the United States for 400 years, still subject to the clutches of division. And division is by design to make sure we are not at the table. 
So that is an indictment, though, in my opinion, on the African-American community. It's easier for people now to discriminate against us because we are, quote, in my opinion, unquote, discrimination friendly. We're Mm -hmm. making it easy for people to deny us. As you just said, not that I am against any other person coming to this country, but now the mayor of a predominantly little black town is from Egypt, okay? Uh, How did that happen? But my point is, it's a result of the vision. So uh, this is basically a larger problem uh, in our community. And Mason, Philadelphia, as I said, these are just other examples. Now, with the Ford Motor Company coming to town and bringing all of its suppliers from around the globe, from South Korea, from Germany, from India, and all of the technical expertise that's going to be necessary to make this new Ford project a success, you're going to locate Ford right smack dab in the middle of what was basically cotton and cornfields that were worked by African-Americans up before they left the fields going to Ford. So here again, when we talk about the whether the, the, the state is going to usurp or otherwise take the charter or we're going to be represented by our own, it goes back to the question again, fundamentally, division, which to me, and I'm going to hush at this point, it speaks volumes about our so-called leadership organizations or the lack thereof, gentlemen. Uh, Richard, but go ahead, Richard, because I know you probably I, I wanted, want. Yeah, I wanted to just follow up before, you know, <clears throat> around this Mason, because, <clears throat> excuse me, Mr. Burroughs, you, you mentioned your your family lineage in the area. So, uh, you know, and, and Elliot and introducing those, you know, so history is history and our, our stories that may answer um, our organizational questions, um, you know, as we move look forward or have to move forward. So I'm kind of curious, um, and you mentioned your grandfather and your father in this area. Was Mason or that area um, the um, the families um, ever um, more organized than than now? Um, and 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 is there any one story or or uh, that you can give that might be personal to your family as far as how was Mason? developed before now in relationship to its social relationship to its social organization, you know, relationship to it as far as black folks in that area. Well, here again, I'm going to use the Tulsa, I would use the Tulsa, Oklahoma, not that Mason in terms of size was the size, but the principles are the same. When, if you will recall, <clears throat> a West Tennessee, uh, Memphis, uh, Mississippi, Natchez, Vicksburg, Up until 1802, prior to the purchase of the Louisiana territories, West Tennessee was as far west. Tennessee was at the outback. It was like the Pacific Ocean. So Memphis, uh, when we come down to the Mississippi River now, and I tell my grandchildren, when we look across the river, we see Arkansas. We see Louisiana. We see Missouri. But just before my grandfather came here, it was France. So a lot of black folk moved west, as it were, the same way white folks who came from Europe 
continued to go west all the way to California after 1802. So when we were leaving South Carolina, leaving North Carolina, leaving Georgia, as it were, looking for farmland because we had developed our skills, as it were, for the our plantation masters back in Virginia, the Carolinas. So we brought those skills as far west as we could. And this part of the world was fertile in timber, uh, fertile in agriculture. So black folk, this was the new land. Some of us ultimately crossed over and went into Kansas. So there is a history of productivity. You got to remember, cotton was king. So therefore, a lot of the land that we acquired after the Civil War, particularly the 16 million acres, it was easier for us to do that because a lot of this land, there was not a lot of, quote, unquote, competition. So black folks settled in Mason. They could get a most of the business here earlier on in Tipton County, which, by the way, is where Isaac Hayes was from, uh, is from, and the adjacent county, uh, Haywood County, which is where Tina Turner uh, is from, and as we said, Lauderdale County, which is where G- Chicken George settled. If you recall in the movie Roots, the second series, where Alex Haley talked about his grandfather, they were relatively wealthy black folk. They own limber sawmills. They own cotton gins. So most of the black folks here were, they own the cotton gins, they own the sawmills, they own the lumber mills, and that was a source of prosperity prior to the white settlers from that from South Carolina. So the, the ground was fertile and there was unity. The central industry was here again, agriculture, that was commerce, uh, but the division comes about, that's a part of the competition. So now when the Ford Motor Company, and we're not arguing against that, by this time, black folks had moved to hither, they had moved to thither, and they had moved to young, and a lot of the land that was purchased and owned by our grandparents is now in the area of what is called air property or heirs at law, mm-hmm. and it is subject to a lot of other devices by which now the local community can take. So it's easier to take the land, and the same model that allows you to take the land is going to allow you to take uh, City Hall, it's going to allow you to take the banks, it's going to allow you to take X, Y, and Z, and to the extent that this country now entered into the NAFTA agreement, now you have individuals from India coming with the hotel industry. You have individuals from uh, the uh, Arab world coming in with the uh, uh, the uh, petroleum industry, individuals from South Korea coming in for the healthcare industry. So now you've got this dual competition. You've got competition from the white community. Now you've got competition from the Asian community, as it were, and you have division from the African-American community, gentlemen, the cocktail for disaster could not be any more, unfortunately, effective. Mm. Uh, thank you for that. Yeah, Mr. Burrell, the, the, um, the farmers in that area, which, which you are uniquely involved in, um, I was reading a published report, and it was talking about, it mentioned several farmers, and I don't know whether you know them by name, or Marvin Sanderling, uh, uh, Ray Jones, uh, uh, Rosa Whitmore. Well, th- these are some of the farmers that are mentioned in this particular article that I, w- I was uh, reading. 
In fact, Richard shared it uh, to me. It was in the Tennessee lookout. And they were talking about um, that they didn't mind uh, the land being used for new roads or roadways to this blue oval, but they wanted to be fairly compensated uh, for the use of the land or, or the purchase. Uh, some of the farmers had been, the land had been taken by eminent domain, according to the published reports, or low, very low prices are are being proposed to African-American farmers for acreage of their land. Talk about some of the, uh, what's going on with our farmers down there. And uh, I'm just curious, uh, are all of them organized? Are, are all of them members of the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association? Or, I mean, I know they probably express to you their frustrations because they know your involvement. But But talk about what's going on there with our farmers. Well, keep in mind, we talked about the opportunities that is now in uh, current from the Ford Motor Company collaborating with the state or the state of Tennessee purchased roughly 4,100 acres of land in a rural community out from Mason, Tennessee, which was traditionally uh, in the, uh, here again, African-American community. But they purchased the land in secret, the 4,100 acres, from basically white farmers. And their argument was they, if they had uh, introduced it to black farmers, the word would have gotten out and probably Ford would not have settled. So 15 years ago, the state purchased this property and they offered it to uh, Monsanto, not Monsanto, but uh, Toyota. They offered it to Nissan. And about two years ago, they made an offer to Ford Motor Company And Ford says, yes, we will collaborate with the state of Tennessee and fill, and as I said earlier, make the largest single investment that the company Ford has ever made, $5.6 billion. And this will be the largest facility that Ford has owned. We know historically that in 1920, Henry Ford purchased the renowned River Rouge facility in Detroit, Michigan. This is where the Mustang was. Uh, this is where airplanes and all of the Ford products. That area was 2,000 acres of land. Here they purchased basically or have leased from the state of Tennessee twice that much, 4,000 acres to build the SUV, I mean the, uh, the uh, F-1 Ford electric vehicle. As a result of that, all of the suppliers uh, around the country, uh, battery suppliers, paint, glass are coming now to Western Tennessee to supply this institution, uh, to supply this effort. What is interesting, though, is that the project is not referred to as the Ford Motor Company. It is referred to the Blue Oval City. Blue Oval being, of course, the uh, the insignia of Ford. But when I heard the word city, that caused some concern for me because it appears now that if you give, the state of Tennessee gives Blue Oval City, city status, it will invariably be able to annex and use this concept that you just introduced, eminent domain. Hmm. Now, what is happening, of course, when you have this degree of economic development, you're going to need roads, you're going to need buildings, you're going to need infrastructure. 
So now the state is using eminent domain to take land from these farmers and heirs at law to accommodate the roads and bridges of, uh, uh, of this BOC Blue Oval City project. As Mr. Sandlin, by the way, yes, I do know them personally because of our involvement with the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association. Some of these individuals are the victims of this eminent domain. However, Richard, however, Elliot, Thomas Farrell and the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association is saying to our members, we may want to think a little bit outside of the box here. But for this new investment, i.e. infrastructure and eminent domain, the value of your land would remain at X, all right? Let's say $5,000 an acre. However, when the state of Tennessee comes through and put a four-lane highway through, the remaining value ought to be Y. What we're saying is we will accept X if you allow us now to develop Y in, and be a partner with the Ford Motor Company and their suppliers so that African-Americans will be able to build the shops, to build the hotels, to build the warehouses, to be able to supply the school and other facilities. We have the land. Why should these other folk now come in who we know are going to benefit from the hotels, who we know are going to benefit from the service station? We're saying, are we losing a daughter, for the lack of a better phrase, or have we potentially gained a billionaire son-in-law? We're simply saying is that the remaining acres, we may agree to eminent domain. If you will allow us then to take the remaining acres, which by virtue of the eminent domain has increased in value perhaps 10 times, and it is the value of the residual, it is the value of the remaining acres that we believe constitutes generational wealth. So there's this trade-off and a somewhat difference of opinion between what we're advocating and what some other individuals are advocating to include boycotting forward. If, if I may, no, I just wanted to make sure I got I this right. Uh, if I understood what you're saying, if they the trade-off or the negotiation is that okay, you want to do this eminent domain on land that you're basically going to confiscate from private owners. And the private owners say, okay, we, 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 you got that if, in my, my language. But um, although um, we still hold other lands that will increase in value, and what we're looking for is to be able to develop, be, develop a partner relationship to, with, you know, that we could be able to develop business that be tied into Blue Oval um, um, with the rest of the land that we own, the private ownership of the land that wasn't um, captured by intimate domain. I guess that's what I'm saying. Is that is that what you're saying or I'm misunderstanding? We are. That is precisely what we are saying. Let's go back to economic development here again. What we are simply saying, let the, let the people who are, as you said, uh, the victims and having their property captured by eminent domain, don't just say, well, we're going to take your land, because when you put that four-lane highway through there, the remainder, let's say if I owned 100 acres 
and you're going to use 10 of those to put a highway through. So now I have basically 90 acres. I got 45 on this side of the four-lane highway and 45 on the other side. Now you gave me $5,000 for the sake of illustration for the 10 that you took, but the 90 that's remaining is worth 300000 and it's going to increase exponentially if I am allowed now to be the one to put the hotel there and the warehouse there and the X and the Y and the Z, which is what these other individuals are going to do. So make the black community now a partner and give them the wherewithal, the capital, the finances the, that's necessary for them to be uh, uh, the logistics warehousing, schools, stores, shops, service stations, hotels, and restaurants. That's exactly what we're saying, Richard. And, and, and going back to Elliot's question, is that is that being done, that negotiation, um, that strategic, strategic economic development approach and that negotiation, is that being done by the black farmers, or is there another entity representing those individuals whose land is being um, captured by eminent domain. I'm, I'm asking the, the first the, the, the farmer, the black farmers and agriculturalists association is the only association right now making okay. that argument. The other groups are saying, no, let's sue, let's sue, let's go to court. Let's go to court. We know that at the end of the day, that's a losing proposition. The state is not, I mean, we just have to be realistic here. The state of Tennessee, or any other state for that matter, is not going to make the largest single investment in its history with a corporation like Ford Motor Company that's made the largest single investment in the history and allow me, you, or anybody else to prevent that from happening. That's not going to happen. I'm a student of Booker T. Washington, and one of the things Dr. Booker T. Washington said in 1885 in Atlanta, he said, among other things, we should not allow our grievances to overshadow our opportunities. Are there grievances associated with this takeover in Mason, Tennessee? Yes. Are there grievances that black folk have historically lost their property? Yes. But on the other hand, are there opportunities here? And that's why we're saying let's think outside of the box, okay? Generational wealth should mean you own the land and the family now for 100 years, and if it's only worth $5,000 an acre. But now you can convert this to retail operations, and that land will be worth 10 times that much for the benefit of you and your children. This is Economic Development 101. This is what the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association is recommending. Hey, Elliot, I think I know who, who might be advocating the other approach that Mr. Burrell is speaking about, but I'm not going to say <laughs> <laughs> wow. I think you do know. Mr. Burrell, uh and see Richard and, and this this is where uh, uh black elected officials that operate in the people's interest, this is where they need to come in or need to be there at the table. Because what Mr. Burrell is talking about is guarantees to the community. Mm-hmm that they're going to be able to directly benefit. I ain't talking about lip service. Oh, you'll get some jobs. No, no, no. We want to directly benefit in the businesses that's going to be developed there. We don't want to be just working at a plant. 
Thank you, sir. Okay, go, go ahead, Mr. Real. I just wanted to throw that in there, but go yeah, ahead. You now you got me shouting, brother. No, no, I, I hated to interrupt, but keep going. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just, just saying we don't want to be working at a plant. Sure, right. listen, it's going to be a lot of people working there, granted. But we want to be able to benefit from businesses coming to those areas to serve. It's just like you said, if Mr. Burrell talked about a historical legacy of our people going into that area uh, before it became a state, basically, or when it was a state, or when, you know, before Lewis and Clark started going <laughs> into those other areas, that was the borderline of the United States. And our people were there, from what you're saying, uh, Mr. Burrell, almost from the beginning, developing those areas. So now when you got new development coming in in 2023, we don't get to develop uh, to enjoy the development. We'll just get a few jobs. Here again, I think it was Richard or it could have been you, Ella, used the phrase paradigm. This mm-hmm. is where we are here. We're saying, wait a minute. There's time now for us to think outside of the box. This is a paradigm shift. And this is precisely, Elliot, our position. Up to now, most black leaders are talking about just the jobs, okay? Sure, jobs are fine. But the most prolific component of economic development will be the development of the infrastructure to support those people who are going to need the jobs and the proliferation, the secondary opportunity, the collateral benefits, the ancillary benefits that are going to be available by virtue of Ford coming to town with its 6,000 jobs. And it purports that 27 more thousand jobs will be necessary from secondary individuals and another 30,000 jobs from XYZ. Up to this point, most black folks are saying and black leaders are saying, well, can you help us get jobs? We're saying jobs are great, but less now since you're going to have land, and I'm repeating myself, you're also going to need warehouses. You're going to need hotels. You're going to need service stations. You're going to need X and Y. And since black folks own this land, then yeah. Mm -hmm. Go ahead and put the highway through my farm, all right? And I will not fight you under the eminent domain. But now I want you to make sure that I'm the person who is going to be able to build the warehouse on the 45 acres that's left. Since for it, you got to have it anyway. So that's precisely what we're saying. And this is not only an opportunity for West Tennessee, but to the extent that a lot of corporations now are moving back south to Georgia, to Alabama, to the Carolinas, et cetera, this paradigm, Richard and Brother Elliot, can be duplicated in those areas as well because you're going to have the same scenario. Most black folks still own land in the south, as it were. So this is a paradigm shift. This is what we would like to think is a perfect example to look at the uh, to look at this opportunity uh, differently. If I if I may, Great, um, uh, and, and Mr. Burrell, because something Elliot raised in relationship to the elected officials, with, um, and I, I I will admit to my ignorance. So if you can help me out, um, because what we've seen was, and and you even described it when you were saying about the purchasing of those forty one thousand acres 
um, they were per- primarily purchased purchased from a deal um, with white from white farmers that you know and the state and the comp and the comptroller of the state you know were uh, deliberately excluding black farmers. So one question comes in the state of Tennessee: um, what is, what is the uh, black elected official? Because you're you're raising a, a strategic vision that is you know really as you say a paradigm shift that is really everybody should be harping on to in this moment, but I don't hear it from that vantage point that you speak of. What is the, the, the electoral um, legislate of black legislators in the state of, of Tennessee? And if there is any, is there any that is enrolling to this um, vision, strategic, this business approach, the economic development approach that, um, that, you're, that is being advocated by the association? The first part of your question is, yes, we have elected officials. A, uh, shall we say, an adequate, in my opinion, representation of the same. But to the other half of your question, do they share this vision at this point? As of today, sir, I don't think so. Mm. Uh, because historically, you got to remember, it is hard for people to disassociate themselves from a pattern of, and philosophy and practice which may have worked for all intents and purposes for hundreds of years to do this thinking outside of the box. Uh, not to say that the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association and Thomas Morrell uh, sees what other folk don't see, but you got to remember now, even the Black Farmers lawsuit itself was filed by Black Farmers. Very little involvement was there from the elected officials and so-called civil rights organization. Mm. The Pickford lawsuit itself, that is, according to a federal judge, the largest, quote-unquote, civil rights lawsuit in the history of this country that paid over one uh, $3 billion, rather, was not the result of black leaders. It was the result of individual farmers who had a vision uh, and and had the husband and the wherewithal to make that happen. So unfortunately, uh, that's why I said earlier, this is somewhat of an indictment against the leadership of the African-American community. We have the leadership. We have it in South Carolina. We have it in Georgia. We have it in Mississippi. We have it in Tennessee. We have it in Pennsylvania. We have Mm -hmm. it in Flint, Michigan. We have it in L.A. But here again, it has been somewhat elusive, and we think that's because uh, the more or less the leaning toward the accommodation side and not to change, you know, when Dr. Booker T. Washington versus uh, the Du Bois debate. Uh, Most of the civil rights have been accommodation-oriented, which is what you're saying, getting the jobs. We want to be next to you. We want to be, and it is very little economic development, as Dr. Washington would say. Man, it's sure, sitting next to a white person is fine. But I'd rather go ahead and make the money uh, having a, earning the theater as opposed to sitting next to someone in a theater are two different things. Going back now to our Tulsa, Oklahoma, the, the black folks in Tulsa weren't concerned about sitting next to white folks. They were concerned about making the dollars, making the money. And But here again, the, traditionally, the leadership in the African-American community has been more accommodation-oriented i.e. let's get the jobs as opposed to economic development oriented 
and that is let's make money now by virtue of the real assets, the hard assets that we have, i.e. property. You know, Elliot, you, you're always bringing up about the generation, and if the next generation don't hear this, especially those who are quote-unquote reparationists or those who are, as um, Mr. Burrell said, you know, are looking from wealth creation, if they're not listening to this these, this opportunity and, and making their B-wave to, you know, connect to it, um, it, it it's, uh, I hear that this is something that could be lost, a moment that could be lost. Well, uh, listen, uh, the, the struggle is here. The fight remains. Uh, in fact, uh, Mr. Burrell, uh, you mentioned that um, uh, some of the farmers are, are filing suit to block it. Um, has there been any discussion beside uh, yourself and members of the uh, Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association bringing up this other option to take a look at? Is anybody else involved? Has the NAACP reached out to the uh, the organization and yourself? Uh, has any other interested parties, have black elected officials, anybody, has anybody said anything to you? No, in a word, no. I, I, can't, I can't get it, Elliot. I just can't get it. I can't, it's like the gold It's like the gold rush. Everybody, you know, and they hear that there's, you know, people who are going and finding finding gold and whatever, but nobody wants to move towards it. I, I just well, Richard, I, I think, that, and Mr. Burrell might not want to say it, but let me say it. When Mr. Burrell is talking about some of the black elected officials, and, and he's saying some, he, I think he's being generous. Our, our elected officials being accommodationists. When, when you got businesses coming into any area, and especially in an area where blacks own, see, Richard, that area down there is almost like a case study and is unique because yes. they're coming into an area where blacks own the land. See, yes. up here in Philadelphia, you know, you might own your house, the bricks, but you don't really own. The city owns basically your land. You just didn't pay the mortgage on it for all those years, and you hope to one day pay it off. It's, it's a little different than owning the land. Blacks own the land where these uh, entities want to come in. So why are you talking about a job when just say, for example, I don't know what the, the minimum wage is in Tennessee or even around that area. Just say, for I'll just hypothetically say the minimum wage is $7 an hour. And if you get a job in the plant, you might be making $25 an hour. Okay, so that's a lot more money than what you were making prior to, but you'll be taking that money, spending it in other people's businesses. You're not benefiting from that. You might directly benefit from your salary being raised, but that doesn't do anything to help generational wealth of your family. Right. Brother Elliot, can I say this, please? Go ahead. I'm just, I'm jumping up and down listening to you. You said two things. You said when we left the South during the second migration, going to the North, whether it was New York, Philadelphia, Flint, Detroit, Chicago, we were looking for jobs and we didn't own land. We were just looking for a house to live in. What is different now is, and you just, you, you, you aptly put it, is now when the corporations from the north move south, 
them moving into an area where black folk now literally own the, the quote-unquote land. Yes. Not just houses, but the land itself, 200 acres, 300 acres, 1,000 acres. This is something, and maybe this is why it is so elusive to the civil rights community, because historically our civil rights was oriented toward helping them get a job when they come to Philadelphia, when they come to Brooklyn, when they come to Cleveland. But here again, we have to develop an appreciation for the fact that there is inherently a paradigm shift. These corporations now are coming back to us, and we're looking at just the job component, the seven to $25,000 which basically raises another issue, and that is we cannot shake ourselves and divorce ourselves from advocating for, quote-unquote, consumers. We are still consumer-oriented. We're looking at just getting a job from these folks. Now this is an opportunity for us to become an entrepreneur. In other words, being rather than being on the consumer side of the cash register, Sure, now we can control and operate those businesses like other people from other countries operating on the entrepreneurial side of the cash register. And so the reason it's not a Tennessee leadership thing or Mississippi leadership thing, this is the Tennessee mentality from leadership is buying into, is, is buying into the old paradigm of being able to protect the consumer. They're looking at the worker and not now the entrepreneurs, the, the new, shall we say, benefactor here, and that is a business person or an entrepreneur. Uh, <clears throat> before we take a break, Mr. Burrell, uh, let me ask you another question. And you can look at this now in retrospect, or you can uh, you can just leave it alone. But let, let me say this, because you mentioned – when you first start talking to me, Richard, that this didn't just come up this, this, uh, because the state had been looking not, not only acquiring certain number of, of acres of land, but looking to court auto companies to come to Tennessee. You, you mentioned that they tried with Toyota and someone else to come there. So this has been a long range plan. This is, this is not something that just popped up. But you mentioned that it kind of just popped up to our people living in those areas, what was going on. So what I'm saying is the the folks that was there, some of the leadership that was there, they didn't alert the people that this might be in the makings five years from now, ten years from now. You know, it it seemed like it kind of just like, boom, it just popped up. Well, can I say this? Go ahead. And yeah, I will answer it. We have a mayor in the city uh, of Brownsville, which is the county seat of Haywood County, where Ford Motor Company moved to. We have county elected officials, county commissioners. We have county mayors here in, in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. We call them county executives. It is reported and they acknowledged that they themselves, sir, were not aware of the secret negotiations 
that were going on with the state of Tennessee, even with other corporations, that they themselves were not aware of it. So what does that say? That the system, the mm-hmm. system itself did not have an appreciation for African-American leadership. That, speak, that speaks volumes. So I said that to say probably the white leaders in Georgia and North Carolina, Alabama, are probably doing the same thing today that the people in Tennessee did when they bought this land. 15, yeah, this land was purchased 15 years ago. Ford just made the announcement uh, on September the 27th of 2021, less than 18 months ago. And there, admittedly, was not one black elected official who was aware of the, shall we say, secret uh, negotiations that were going on to attract these businesses. So what does that say about what the overall uh, leadership think about African-American leadership? And, you know, and, and, and I know you want to go to break, Elliot. No, but, no, go but, ahead, go ahead. Mr. Burrell, Mr. Burrell said, because what the, the picture comes to mind, especially in this moment, um, at various levels, I mean, we're, we have more elected officials, more bureaucrats in departments than ever in our history. And yes. what you described is the, that there is a possibility that you can be in these positions and that there's another layer that still can go on, right, where decisions and negotiations can be made. These, as you said, Elliot, long-range plans can be formulated, and the people in this position that we're looking to, and, and, and they're, as you say, as you say, Mr. Burrell, they're utilizing outdated strategic visions and, and tactics. And we're thinking that everything is what it is, but there's a whole nother, and they're not aware of it. We're not aware of it. And things are being in play. And these guys have no qualms on not letting people be aware of it. I mean, what happens at the national level at these, uh, I mean, I know one person, a couple of people who are a part of uh, Congress, people who are in the the, uh, sitting on the agricultural department, where are they to their awareness to be able to say, oh, we are in the moment we should be about wealth creation more than just about jobs. I would be okay if it was a mixed economy. Well, yes, we want to create, we want to get some jobs, but we also want to, with the men and women who um, legacy have legacy land, we want uh, wealth creation because they control land. Where are they? And if they don't know, shush. That just what does that tell us about? As you, I think somebody is alluding to this secondary or shadow level of government. There's an old saying in business, and you guys have probably heard of it. There will always be three meetings, the meeting before the meeting, the meeting, and the meeting after the meeting. Black folk, leaders included, are not at the meeting before the meeting, sir. Mm. Most of us not are even at the second meeting. (laughs) (laughs) And when we find out what's going on, it's the meeting, after the meeting, all the deals have already been cut. The land has been carved out, and the predominant decisions have already been made. Wow. We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, you can get involved in the conversation with a question or comment, and you can do that by dialing 215-490-9832. 
That's 215-490-9832. When we come back, more conversation with activist, organizer, and president of the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association of Memphis, Mr. Thomas Burrell. We'll be right back. Brother Richard, on time for an awakening media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services if when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. The Digital Plantation, abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. Black Power. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global you black family, to join your interconnected you black communities, Escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, abibitumi.tv, abibitumitv.com, abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation. A new era, a new phase of the struggle where we have moved from a struggle for decency, which characterized our struggle for 10 or 12 years, to a struggle for genuine equality. And this is where we're getting the resistance because there was never any intention uh, to go this far. People were reacting to Bull Connor and to Jim Clark rather than acting in good faith for the realization of genuine equality. Do you think white people in this country, and I'm talking about 
non-segregationists, people devoid or thinking they're devoid of racism. Do you have any idea of what they want the Negro to be in America? I think the vast majority of white Americans uh, will go but so far. It's a kind of installment plan for equality. And uh, they are always looking for an excuse uh, to go but so far. And know that this problem needs to be solved and we can't keep relegating it to generation after generation because a few of us got a little money, a few of us got positions, a few of us have wealth while the masses of our people are going steadily down. No one man can rise above the condition of his people. See, brother said responsibility. Is it, is it that we should let them take responsibility to do for us, or should we pool the knowledge that's at the table, the power that's in our community, the wealth that's in our community to change the harsh reality of black life in America? We have to do the job of fulfilling the black agenda. Thank you. Whites are expert game players in their contests to maintain absolute power. One of their time-honored gimmicks is to point to individual blacks who've achieved recognition. But look at Raft Bunch. Think about Lena Horne or Marian Anderson. Look at Jackie Robinson. They made it as one of those who has made it. I would like to be thought of as an inspiration to our young but I don't want them lied to. Name them for me. The examples of blacks who made it. For virtually everyone you name, I can give you a sordid piece of factual information on how they have been mistreated, humiliated. Not being able to fight back is a form of severe punishment. I come here tonight and plead with you. Believe in yourself and believe that you're somebody. As I said to the group last night, nobody else can do this for us. No document can do this for us. No Lincolnian Emancipation Proclamation can do this for us. No Kennesonian or Johnsonian Civil Rights Bill can do this for us. If the Negro is to be free, he must move down into the inner resources of his own soul and sign with a pen and ink of self-assertive manhood his own emancipation proclamation. Don't let anybody... Take your manhood. Time for an Awakening is a proud part of the Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black digital and podcasting platform. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 8-11 on this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Our guest this evening in conversation activist, organizer, and president of the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association of Memphis, Tennessee. Mr. Tom Burrell is with us. 
we're talking about what's going on uh, around with our farmers around the Mason, Tennessee, and the Blue Oval Project. We'll also be touching on the uh, the Stein Seed lawsuit. Uh, black farmers filed suit against Stein Seed for selling big, fake seed to uh, African American farmers. And you can join the conversation by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Uh, Mr. Burrell, um, oh, I didn't, Mr. Burrell, you there? Yes, oh, yes. Great, great, great. Uh, Mr. Burrell, let, let's shift gears, and we'll probably come back to the, the, the Mason situation because more and more I'm looking at the situation, more and more questions come up. But l- let me shift gears to talk about the um, – the lawsuit against Stein C because the last we spoke with you when you were on a program, uh, you had filed suit, uh, and to take them to court in reference to the, uh, the seed company, which is a very large producer of seed in this country, selling fake seed to African American farmers that wouldn't germinate, wouldn't produce anything. And, uh, after the seed was tested, uh, the organization took the seed and had it tested, found out that it was basically uh, fake seed. It, it wouldn't produce. Uh, and it was a lawsuit filed against them. What what happened from that? Uh, can you kind of give our listening audience the details on what uh, transpired? Yes. Uh, in a word, is the lawsuit is still pending. We finally got a court date after about five years. Keep in mind, Elliot Richard, this is a strategy. Even though when we know that we've done wrong by black folk, we know that the average one will not have the resources to sustain a long, as Dr. King would say, justice delayed is justice denied. The average black person will not have the wherewithal and the means to stay in the ring, as it were, with a billion-dollar corporation to get to the finish line, even though they know that, and the billion-dollar corporation never deny that we sold you fake seeds. Now, so that's where we are. Thanks be to God, we have had the husband and the wherewithal to stay in the ring. What happened, this is just another example of how discrimination at every level, corporate, governmental, and otherwise. If I can coin a phrase or remember a quote from uh, Lyndon Johnson's during his campaign to get Congress to consider passing the Voting Rights Act uh, as a result of Bloody Sunday in Selma, Alabama in March of 1965. A few nights later, Mr. Then, President Johnson made a speech, and he said, among other things, he said, every device for which human ingenuity is capable has been used to deny the Negro of his rights. Mm. Now, this was a white man saying that. Every device for which human ingenuity is capable, what he is saying is, it doesn't matter if we pass a law on Monday. Human ingenuity is going to find a way to get around that law on Tuesday, which means that, to what we were saying earlier, the African-American leadership has to always be vigilant and remain on the watch, as it were, 
of the wall of civil rights for its people. So there again, this paradigm shift, which Lyndon is saying there's going to be a shift. I think there was an author who wrote a book some years ago that said, who moved my cheese? There's no question the cheese is going to get moved. The plan is going to get moved. The paradigm is going to be introduced. The question is, do you have the people within your community who have the skill sets to be able to see this shift, this shift in emotion, this shift in devices? So going back to your original question, yes, we are still on the wall. The Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association is. We will stay in the fight. Stein Seed Company, which is a company that, for all intents and purposes, creates seeds. You've heard the phrase GMO seeds, genetically modified. A genetically modified seed is a seed, if I can use the word on the street, that's been tricked out, as it were. <laughs> Mother Nature creates what we call heirloom seeds. All right? So what corporations have done is to be able to take one of Mother Nature's seeds and the equivalent of tricking it out. Or in other words, uh, when we were young, we would buy an automobile, and then we would add other things to it to make it go faster, to make it do X, Y, and Z. And that's what Stein Seed is about. Uh, your Monsantos, they will take a seed and introduce a trait in that seed that will give it the ability to do what Mother Nature otherwise wouldn't. And these seeds were able or supposedly to increase the yield of farmers. But now, on the one hand, we're trying to get rid of black farmers. So it doesn't make sense, even if the government is saying, I'm going to do all I can and other agencies to do all we can to get rid of black farmers. Well, that's going to be a little difficult if we're giving them these seeds that are tricked out. So now corporate America, like Lyndon Johnson, has to use its ingenuity to contribute to the demise of black farmers. So now what you do, you have these seeds on the one hand that can otherwise help this black farmer, but now what I have to do is to give him the fake variety of these tricked-out seeds. And that's it mm. in a nutshell. So they have the seeds that would otherwise make these farmers more competitive, that would make these farmers more likely to be able to repay their loan because they have these seeds now, the jack and the beanstalk version of seeds that's going to guarantee a bumper crop, that's going to guarantee the fact that they can pay their bills. But now what we have to do is to make sure that they don't get the tricked-out seeds, so we trick them and also give them now fake seeds. Discrimination 102. Jim Crow 102. In what court is the, is your case um, um, before? Is it a, a regional, uh, federal, state? How does that work? Can you describe that? We filed originally in federal court in the Western District of Tennessee, Federal District Court for the Western District of Tennessee. However, it was dismissed. So we then filed in the state court, and it is the state court, you would think, it would have been the reverse. But it's the state court that is maintaining the lawsuit. Most gains by African Americans 
in the 40s and 50s and 60s were in federal courts. Uh, mm-hmm. Brown versus the Board of Education, Browder versus Gale, NAACP versus Button. I can go on and on. The federal judges were more, shall we say, sympathetic in the, uh, the federal court, were more sympathetic to the plight of African Americans than the state court. But here again, our case was dismissed in, by, by a state judge, and uh, we were able to get the state court, rather, let me back up. Our case was originally filed in federal court, but got dismissed. So we then filed in state court, and it is the state court now that we are getting ready to have our day, as it were, in court. Mr. Morell, is, is Tennessee located? Where, where are their, their main office or their offices? They're located in Iowa, in the state of Iowa. Stein C, as I said, they have patents on over 400 varieties of seeds. They are a competitor of Monsanto or a competitor of Bayer and DuPont. You've got a lot of Fortune 500 recognizable co- uh, companies, which most people won't be aware of. Uh, as I said, DuPont is a producer of genetically modified seeds. Bayer, uh, Monsanto, uh, most of your big seed companies now are into what we call GMO, genetically modified. What they do is they create a gene in that seed and then sell a particular herbicide that is unique to that particular seed. So now they're able to, when they sell the seed to the farmer, he then has to sign a contract agreement saying he will not replant the seed and that he will now purchase a herbicide or a fungicide or a pesticide that is unique to that seed. So these seed companies can effectively double their uh, the reap of their investment by producing these genetically modified seeds. But they are based in the state of Iowa. Okay. Uh, Mr. Morell, the... Um Mason, uh, we see that <clears throat> your family generationally owned land in and around Mason and Tipton County. Uh, your father was born there, and I think you said 1904, and then you were born there. So, yes. so uh, they come up with uh, you don't have residency, which is a little strange. But <clears throat> do you plan? And I might know the answer to this. Do you plan to run again for mayor? in that area? I think the answer is yes. Okay. Okay. We think the answer is yes, because the problems that we are facing now are so ingrained and orthodox for the lack of a better phrase until uh, we believe that it's going to take an individual with the vision, the foresight, but more importantly, the fortitude uh, to, shall we say, withstand the fiery dots, as Lyndon Johnson said again, uh, you know, human ingenuity is capable of creating these new devices. So it's going to take a person who has the wherewithal, the puts, but to be able to see these new devices being developed. So the answer is yes. We believe that the benefit for the generational wealth uh, for the unborn, 
for our posterity. When we talk about the preamble of the Constitution, we the people, so forth and so on, to make a four-perfect union, there are five or six things that that preamble promises. The, the last one or two says, for the benefit of ourselves and to our posterity, our children. I'm at the age right now that God has blessed me, so whatever I'm doing now will not be for the benefit of me, but it'll be for the benefit of our what? Posterity, that next generation, the unborn, the generational wealth. And this is where these paradigm shifts are absolutely necessary. In my opinion, any politician coming to me, telling me what he's going to do for me, I, I don't need to hear it because here again, I want to know what you're going to do for what? The posterity. And here again, this is why I will stay in the fight. I'm going to continue to fight for the benefit of those landowners in Mason, Tennessee, and elsewhere for that matter. Because as we, as we said earlier, this is not unique to Tennessee. But here again, this is an awakening. We need to be prepared in Georgia, <clears throat> North Carolina, because as uh, Richard said, uh, L.E. said earlier, this is a new paradigm. Uh, Ford Motor Company is located right now in Mason, Tennessee, or in Stanton, Tennessee. And prior to their bringing the heavy equipment in a year ago to start doing the site work, you could see the cotton stalks left from cotton fields. These are the same cotton fields that 60 and 70 years ago that black folk left going to Detroit looking for a job. Mm. And now 70 years later, the people who they went to work for in Detroit, Michigan, are now locating smack dab in the middle of the cotton fields that they left. Mm. So that's going to be true for the tobacco fields where black folk left in North and South Carolina going to Philadelphia, New York, and Boston. And this is why owning land is so important at the end of the day. At the end of the day, land is important because invariably those corporations who are going to be looking for a better place to locate will be now circling back to corner phrase from the Cowboys. And those two or three million acres that we still own now, this is where the paradigm shift is going to have to come. Most of the farmers are thinking about growing steel, growing soybeans and cotton. But this paradigm shift now has put us on another plane. Now we're going to be warehouse owners. We're going to be retail owners off from the very same cotton fields and tobacco fields that our ancestors looked up from. 300 years ago, 200 years ago, and said, God, if you don't do it for us, one day do it for our children. And they labored. They were born slaves. They worked as slaves, and they died as slaves, but they had an innate feeling that God was going to be able to return back to those same areas and bless them. And in my opinion, it is a God sin. Ford may have made an internal decision to relocate to Mason, Tennessee. But if my great-great-grandmother and grandfather would say who died years ago, no Ford move there because they're answering a prayer that we made. And we have to have the leadership, gentlemen, necessary and commensurate with understanding that this new paradigm 
is basically the result of the prayers, the blood, sweat, and tears of our ancestors, and that's why we have to cash in on them. If I, if I may, a question comes to my mind, and, and again, kind of alluded to it earlier, and Elliot speaks to it all the time. Um, you know, this, you watched on Facebook, you watched a lot of commencement um, graduations, and I noticed there was a lot of young people who were becoming lawyers. And what I see, as you, you said in this, what's going on in Mason, and even with the Stein um, lawsuit. So my question is, do you see um, young lawyers seeing opportunities in um, what is occurring in Mason? It doesn't have to be a long line, but is there any, you know, just from where you stand now, are people, young people coming to you and, and, and expressing, you know, as you express the vision um, of development and wealth creation or express the, the you know, the engagement in this, um, this court case are you seeing um, young legal minds coming, you know, at least even raise black minds, at least raising questions uh, about what's going on in these two arenas? Yes, Richard, that's an excellent observation and question. Uh, we are seeing more interest in agriculture and in the rule by young African-Americans. Many are leaving Chicago and New York and L.A., and they have a different perspective when you use the word agriculture. One of the things we have to recognize uh, to be true, unfortunately, is that agriculture for black folk was that nightmare where we witnessed deprivation. We witnessed slavery did a job, as the kids in the street would say, on black folk. So there is this displaced aggression. When you mention farming, the average African-American, is his mind or her mind, is going to shut up. It's going to shut down. And it doesn't matter what other collateral opportunities that are associated with it. We remember this is where the man beat my great-grandmother. He, he raped her. We didn't make it. We had to leave in the middle of the night. So there's a lot of shall we say, emotional luggage associated with the older African-American generation. Whereas, as you just amply put, Richard, the younger generation uh, is more in tune now to being able to look past that. So, yes, we do have more young people calling every day. I want to get into agriculture. I want to get into X. I want to get into Y. The problem is that we have this, shall we say, chasm or this void of advocacy, whereas, as we said earlier, most of us advocated going to the North, going to the X, going to the Y. And here again, now these opportunities, as inherent by Ford Motor Company, people are coming back to the South. So we're going to need, in addition to this paradigm shift, it's going to require a different, shall we say, perspective in understanding and being a different skill set to take advantage of this paradigm shift. As both of you aptly stated, uh, we are more, the older generation is going to talk about jobs that's inherent and forward. The newer generation is going to be more immune to economic development and not just getting a job at the plant for five or six or 
$20 an acre, but being able to do what other minorities are doing, and that is we need to be thinking about being entrepreneurs. And as I said, we're going to have to shift our position relative to the cash register. Up to this point, we have been on the consumer side of the cash register. Whether we make $10 an hour, $15 an hour, or $100 an hour, our athletes are a prime example of that. We are what consumers. The more we make, the more we spend. We're going to have to now, and fortunately, we are getting a new generation of young people who are saying, wait a minute, we're not going to, you can't consume yourself into wealth. You're not going to consume yourself into prosperity. Prosperity is by nature a function of contracting, being able to contract with an individual. And here again, we are contractees. We spend our money. We've got to become contractors. And this is where we're going with, and I'm repeating myself, with the black farmers who are the victims of eminent domain. Sure, the state coming through your farm now, they've taken, for the lack of a better phrase, there's no denying it. They're going to take X numbers. But let's see now, can we become entrepreneurs with the remaining Y acres? So that's true, Elliot, Richard, at the, uh, that's going to be true uh, all over the spectrum. So, yeah, we need more young black minds, lawyers, accountants, business individuals. Can you imagine how many more skill sets now in accounting will we need if the black landowners around that Mason, that Ford facility start to own warehouses, start to have uh, retail stores, restaurants, and, and cafeterias, et cetera? That is going to require not only, as you both amply stated, another skill set in labor, but management, uh, the scientific technology, the accounting, the secretarial skills, and the legal minds associated with this new paradigm shift. Let me go to 662 and see if they have a question or comment for our guest. 662? I guess they're just listening. Um, Mr. Burrell, listen, I want to thank you for uh, being with us, spending some time with us uh, to let us know exactly what's going on. Uh, I'd like to uh, have you come on and maybe give us some updates, uh, maybe monthly updates, because this is this situation seems to be very fluent down there. And uh, I, I don't know which direction it's going in, who will contact you in reference to your approach because I think your approach is beneficial to the people in the community. And, ho- and hopefully, uh, in your uh, attempt to run again, uh, maybe it could be a double-barrel approach. You and Miss Rivers working together. She had been on our program yes. a couple of occasions talking about her love for the community down there and her love for the people. So, I, you know, I would, I would like to see maybe both of y'all kind of team up and work together at this. Great, great, excellent idea. Yeah, and, and uh, listen, I'll, I'll be in touch with you because I, I kind of want to uh, thank you keep uh, keep this situation and keep our people abreast on what's going on down there because this situation down there in Memphis and uh, Mason and that surrounding area, well, basically, is a a microcosm of what's going to be going on in other areas, and especially exactly. where our people are, and especially in southern areas where we control still control some of the land. Key phrase, 
That is a key distinction. Again, I want to thank you, Mr. Burrell, for being with us. And, yes. I'll, and I'll talk thank to you. you. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. Thank All you, right. gentlemen. Yes. All right. All right. Yes. Bye-bye. We're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, we'll continue the conversation, and you can get involved, too, by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. Time for an awakening. We'll be right back. Listening to Time for an Awakening. Time for an Awakening with host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American owned and operated insurance agency and business for over 20 years. Located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services. Representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies. Offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. I transformed a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one of the tangible transformations I've created for entrepreneurs in various industries around the country. If this isn't what you think of when you think of accounting and business consulting, then get ready to take down this invaluable information. Are you an entrepreneur suffering with a stagnating company? Have headed customer, staff, or vendors? Are you rebounding from a loss and need help achieving your unrealized potential? Or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? Hi, my name is Nataki Kanban. If you're ready to go beyond advising and coaching and get results, then call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions recommend and implement the best comprehensive sales, administrative, human resources, accounting, and operations to help you grow into your vision for yourself and your company. Again, from anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072 or pull us up on your device right now and book your free consultation at www.newbusinesssolutions.com. And just mention you heard this special announcement on Time for an Awakening. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. For 12 years, I and others like me have held out radiant promises of progress. I have preached to them about my dream. 
I had lectured to them about the not-too-distant day when they would have freedom all here now. I had urged them to have faith in America and in white society. Their hopes had soared. They were now booing me because they felt that we were unable to deliver on our promises. They were booing because we had urged them to have faith in people who had too often proved to be unfaithful. They were now hostile because they were watching the dream that they had so readily accepted turn into a frustrating nightmare. And so the collision course is set. The desegregation decisions and other type of legislation and Supreme Court decisions depends upon changing the white man's mind. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad teaches uh, us that our own mind has to be changed. We have to change our uh, mind about ourselves. In what way? Well, so he uh, teaches us the importance of moral reformation, uh, a knowledge of self. And, uh, for instance, the average so-called Negro, he doesn't think that he can uh, go into business and provide jobs for himself. And because of this, he thinks that he can only get a job from the white man, or he can only get clothes from the white man, or he can only get food from the white man. And we who follow the Honorable Elijah Muhammad are taught that uh, the same thing that the white man has done for himself and his kind, uh, if our people could uh, be wrecked, uh, if, if we could be cured of our slave mentality that was uh, indoctrinated into us during slavery, we would realize that just as the white man can do these things for himself and his kind, we can get together in unity and harmony and do the same thing for ourselves and our kind. I'm not wondering at all about them. What I'm concerned with the suffering and the pain of the masses of black people. No one wants to pay reparations. The Jews received over $100 billion in reparations and gets $4 billion annually. A Holocaust museum was set up for them on this soil for over $200 million, and they get $221 million annually just for operating expenses. But the Catholic Church, the Pope, the Jews, the Arabs, white people in general, no one wants to pay reparations to these, the sons and daughters of Africa. So I speak to them. I don't speak. I speak to them. I don't speak to the family of those two Jews. There are too, too many of us for me to speak to them. And one of the reasons why I'm always happy to come to this organization, because you're the only one, you're the only black organization, again, that understands to put race first. Race first. Race first. And I've had some white folks to tell me that I was a flaming militant, a radical, or whatever all of these names were that they called me. And I said that I am very pleased that you called me a nationalist, because you could have said that I was a member of the NAACP of the Urban League. So I said, I'm very pleased of the names that you have given. But I said that because we put race first, something is wrong with us. But everybody else puts their own first because God blessed the child who has his own. And so I think that race first is very important. And though we meet in a different venue, we're not at the slave theater, we're not at the church, we're now at the Masonic Temple, it really does not matter where we are physically. 
It matters where we are in our minds and wherever we meet, as long as we know that we're Africans and as long as we know that we're black people living here in America, we know exactly who we are. You notice you can put an Uncle Tom in any venue in the White House, you can even put him in his, he's going to still be a Tom. You can put him anywhere you want. Well, it's the same thing with us who are strong people. Wherever we are, we're going to be the people that we need to be. Let me just say this before our time winds up. And that is, I want the people in the audience to go back and look at the video clip from Roots. It's entitled something like Breaking Kunta Kente. That scene opens with Lauren Green uh, sitting in, who's the plantation master, sitting in his office, and then Fiddler comes in and says, um, uh, we don't want to be too hard on the runaway. Kunta Kente has just run away and been caught. And um, so the time comes for him to get his lashing. And if you look at this scene, it's about nine minutes, and study the scene, study the role of everybody or bodies that are in this particular clip, and you will find that there is an equivalent role in the political life of our country today, whether it's on the national level or on the local level. There's the black man who actually does the whipping of Kunta Kinte. There's the white man who does the whipping. There's the black man who intervenes with the boss man and tries to save the life of Kunta Kinte. There's Kunta himself, who eventually is forced to admit that his name is Toby. And there's a, there's dozens of bystanders, black, who are watching. This, this is a very powerful thing. And it's an analogy of exactly what is happening in our community today. Let's give those characters names in our community and call them what they are and then take care of business about that.
Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. Uh, I want to thank our guest that spent some time with us this evening, activist, organizer, and president of the Black Farmers and Agriculturalists Association of Memphis. Mr. Tom Burrell was with us this evening, talked about what's going on down in Mason and around that uh, Blue Oval Project. Also gave us an update on the Stein Seed lawsuit. Uh, Richard. Yes, yes. Excellent conversation with Mr. Burrell. He, he really gave us an insight on uh, what's going on in that area, his approach yeah. to it as far as an economic approach for for our people in that area. I, I, listen, I, I, I think it's an excellent suggestion. He said uh, that uh, uh, several folks want to just block it and block the lawsuit for, as far as the eminent domain. And, uh, you know, he sees it, but he said the, uh, you might not be able to stop it, but at least we can benefit from it. I, and I understood what he was saying in reference to it, Richard. Definitely. Um, I think there's um, a replay on it. Okay, you got it. Um, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Definitely. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, definitely. Um, that's, you know, the strategy that they have. He has for, you know, um, and, and definitely it's a indication of the kind of leadership he wants to bring at this point, and the organizational structure to to reinforce this leadership. What's what's um, also disheartening to come out of this that came out came out of that conversation is the reinforcement. I mean, I call it disheartening, but it's. I mean, I understand. I know where you, this, I know where you're going, Richard. But go ahead. This parallel, you know, like I I just don't see when I when he described that. Um, even in that location, and I, and I appreciate he did that. There are elected um, representatives, mm-hmm. and I'm just one that had no clue. Now you know we just got the reporting in relationship, as he said, in the last 18 months, and they indicated that this has been going on. But these these other layers that exist, these black layers that exist, and not that they're they is one thing that they don't didn't know, which means that these these folks can be able to put a plan together and have people in a, in a position and they not know, is that now that they do know, you know, what Mr. Burrell brings to the table from his vantage point, and that might be selfish in my observation, that they he can't indicate that they're even gravitating to be in dialogue with the strategy that he's proposing. That's what's so disheartening that like, cause other than that, like you said, they're using a strategy that's outdated. And my other thing that gets me is that, as he said, which was so apropos, you know, he said at one point we went to the North thirties, twenties, thirties, and forties. And the North corporations were asking for black folks to leave the farm. And on one hand, we were leaving because of white terrorism, right? Mm-hmm. But they were asking us to leave to go to these factories, war factories, meat factories, and whatever. Now that the corporations are moving to the South, I think that that's something that we need to continue to explore. You know, so, and what they and the people who are there left who have the land, they can get, you know, they, they can get. Uh, not only they can just get uh, more land taken away from them, 
but put black people back in labor when they are controlling the land and they don't get, they don't become a part of the partner supply chain. It's, it's just, it's these, you know, some, we just need to continue to talk about if I'm making any sense. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, listen, just like he said, and, and, and I made sure I mentioned this before when I gave him that example, it's not like that's just going on in Mason or around right. in Memphis. This is going, this is a problem, whether you're in Philadelphia or Baltimore, it's a problem. Where our people don't seem to be organized or coalesce around an issue. And sometimes they're dependent on elected officials that don't know what they're doing, that are not watchmen. You know, it's kind of funny. Mr. Burrell kind of took some of the things that the, the collages, the voices on those collages, I think one of Minister Farrakhan said that these people are supposed to be watchmen, right. for the, and they're not. So how can you be a watchman and you don't even know what's going on? Now, I'm not saying that all of them don't, because some of these people are very much aware of what's going on, and they just want to be traitorous to the black community. But a lot of them don't know what's going on until it's too late or things are already ch- or signed. He gave the example of uh, they're having three meetings, one before the meeting, the regular meeting and then one after. And he said, you're not involved in the one before, the pre one. And he said, a lot of times you ain't even involved in the second one. <laughs> Y'all making my stomach hurt. <laughs> well, I mean, that's what he said. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, yeah. you know, now one of the reasons, Richard, I, I talked with the uh, Miss Rivers before this program to get her to, uh, if she knew any of the farmers in the area, to maybe get them to call in. And she said that she really didn't know a lot of the landowners in the area. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's part of it too, because a lot of these landowners, in fact, the one guy that's in that article that you shared with me, he said he's involved in the, uh, the black farmers and agriculturalist organization. He's involved in the group. Mm-hmm. So you got landowners that's involved and maybe some people that aren't landowners, they might not be, that much involved to really know what's going on. And see, that's right. where you need a partnership between elected officials and the community. Mm-hmm. Any communication outlet. Exactly. I mean, it's, 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 you know, because there's no one um, exploring these, at least these dimensions from Mr. Burrell's perspective in a broader audience to where, you know, on, on social media or, or, um, you know, in the, in whatever the broader platform is to just to raise the question. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, listen, he made it clear to what he was saying tonight and mm-hmm. I understand clearly. In fact, he, he, you know, not that I beat him to the punch, but he, he said he was jumping up and down when I mentioned it first. Right. About, you know, if, if, if they're going to take a portion or acre or two or whatever to people's land, at least they'd be able to benefit business-wise, not right. just getting a job. Come on, man. Aren't we sick of that? I want to work for somebody else. And then all the money that I make, I'm spending it in somebody else's store. At least I can spend the money with somebody that look like me that's going to hire my son or my daughter in a place where they can be proud of. The community of Mason can really benefit. And now, Richard, you see why they kind of forced him out of that, mm. out of the running for that seat. You see why now. 
We say, and, and, and I say, oh yeah, and they're and they're working quick because they know he's coming back. <laughs> wow. Put in place whatever is needed to be put in place because you know it, it's going to require um, not just ketchup, but a lot of other things to be in order for them to make that happen. Um, the um, building the economy. That's what he's talking about. A supply chain based off of this main um, corporate operation and building an economy that based off of owning the land to build those warehouses, to build those restaurants, to build those, um, you know, places where people can be able to stay. That requires a whole level of different skill sets that I hope that young people now who are graduating see as an opportunity that, you know, because I hear a lot of people, young people and, and middle-aged people now talk about Bitcoin. Well, this is black folks' Bitcoin. This is this is the metaverse. And, 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 it, and it's tangible. But it'll require a lot of creative um, thinking and power moves. Because you, you think these boys going to just, they, you know, he mentioned, you know, that how the state looked for other people. What, they went to Saudi Arabia? They went to Japan? You don't think that they're going to be coming now? Germany. And yeah, you mentioned Germany also. You know, and they already have, what, capital? They have they have capital as far as cash to buy. They have uh, capital as far as capital in relationship to skills. And they have capital as far as social organization to make it happen. We have to pull that stuff together. Wow. Let me go to 602. 602. Ah, yes. Yes, good brothers. Good evening. Yes, sir. Um, so, one of the ways um, we can do some creative um, financing in reference to what's happening here in Mason. Now, because what's going to happen now, any, anything in a 10-mile radius of that factory, the price of that land is going to increase exponentially. Mm-hmm. Because we know Real estate is location, location, location. And you make money from real estate by how fast the property appreciates. So we have to get creative now and say, okay, we have the land. We um, partner with a financial institution, a bank or whatsoever, and you get what they call a construction loan. See, the first thing you do, you go, you say, all right, we want to put up a warehouse here. So we go to the bank and we say, look, we have this amount of land and we need a construction loan to build this factory here. Okay. So the bank going to give you the construction loan to build the factory. Now, when the, when the factory is built now, it may cost you $50,000, $100,000 to build the factory. But when that factory is built, uh, that warehouse is built, it's gonna the value is gonna be more than a hundred thousand dollars. See? It's gonna probably not worth five hundred thousand dollars. So what you do though, you say, All right, I'm gonna take out a mortgage on this thing now. You see? You take out a mortgage and you peer off the construction loan. So you take four hundred to say five hundred thousand dollars. 
and you take the hundred, you take a hundred thousand, you pay off the construction loan, and then you have the other four thousand or four hundred thousand to do what you want to do. You know what I'm saying? It's all right. You, you want to do something else with that additional four hundred thousand. You keep paying that note. You know that that mortgage and that and that and that uh, you'll keep paying the mortgage and the the, the property, but you have that liquidity, you have that cash to do other things. See, so we have to get creative and smart now. You know because we know these people ain't gonna finance us. They ain't gonna finance the either. I'm saying so we go we we go on with creative financing ourselves. See, you get the construction loan, you build on it, you build the house on it. Now that house now, you know, is going to be worth X amount. You mortgage it, pay off the construction loan, and then use that extra cash to do other things. See, so we have to get, because that, 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 the value, in fact, I'm going to go up there, go check and look around myself, see if I can buy something up there, because... It's gonna increase exponentially up there. A few years ago, I was telling black folks in Memphis when Memphis, uh, the, the the Shelby County Land Bank was selling land here in Memphis, fifty bucks a shot. You could get a a, a lot, a city lot, and people laugh at me. Say, "Oh, this guy is ridiculous." And they they sit there. No, you can't find nothing there for fifty bucks no more. Okay, you cannot find anything. The, the, the cheapest piece you're going to find right now is $500, $600 to buy a piece of, a piece of a, a lot here. But benefits are still here because, again, the Memphis we see now, it's, it's not going to be the same Memphis 10 years from now because they're making drastic changes. You know, but our people, we're kind of slow to the, to the, you know, to get out of the starting box. But we have to get get more, you know, get get wiser. So the, the, Mr. Burrell is right. It presents opportunity, and we have to be. But you have to be creative. You know, you have to be creative to 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 to. to. And I think we're gonna do it because again, we're not dumb and stupid people. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend them to sell their, their property. I wouldn't recommend because they're gonna come. Now people are gonna come and offer them. Hey, you want to sell it and we have a couple of dollars in front of them face. No, leverage your property. Use it as a leverage. Use it as a carrot and a stick. Attract the capital, build, mortgage, and use that extra capital to do other things. You know, oh, yeah. uh, that's just my little contribution this evening to the to the to the show. Thank you, good brother. Thanks for your contribution, Brother Marcus. All right, no problem. Take care now. <clears throat> All right. Richard, he raises an excellent point as far as, uh, you know, for example, up here in these cities, you know, you go and you, you want to get, you want to open up a business, and so you go to these places and they turn you down, they give you a song and dance, they send you mm-hmm. around to about four or five lending institutions and all of them say no. But see, down there, they need the land. So you do hold some cards. In fact, you hold okay. a lot of cards. Mm-hmm. So you can say, okay, well, and, and that's where the deals can be made or leverage mm-hmm. can be held. Because if you want this land and you want to get it at bargain basement price, okay, but I want to be able to develop on the remainder of my land. 
That article mm-hmm. you sent me, Richard, said this is it's a it's no. They got a few bed and breakfasts, but it's no hotels within thirty miles of that new project. That's an excellent opportunity for our people to get involved, and they don't have to build a, like a lavish hotel. They can build some nice bed and breakfasts. A lot of people love to stay in bed and breakfasts. Mm-hmm. They can build and and use these banks that don't want to give you no money anyway, but they'll have leverage because they have the land that these people want. So mm-hmm. I understand what he's saying. He said it's, it's a lot of farmers that want to block the state from taking their land of them eminent domain. Mm-hmm. And he said, that, you know, or, or giving them a low price. And he said, that you know, being that the state has invested all of this money, it's almost like a train coming down the tracks. You might not be able to stop it, mm-hmm. but at least you can benefit from it. And, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that he raised that on his program. Right. Yeah, so, uh, Richard, uh, f- listen, before I go to, the, we got another caller up here. Before I go to that, Richard, um, you know, he, he talked about the, and we, we talk about it on the program, but the, the leadership, and he mentioned specific leadership in Tennessee mm-hmm. when you asked him about other people being involved, and he said right now it's just the farmers' organization, the black farmers' organization. Right. The NAACP. The black elected officials, none of them was really involved. And you was kind of surprised. Um, let me read this article here because it, it kind of shows the bigger issue of the major problem. with black, And see, I'm not talking about the European elected officials. They're going to do what they're going to do. I'm not concerned about that. I'm concerned about the people that look like us that say that they represent us but then do other things quote-unquote, behind the scenes until the rug is pulled out or the cover is pulled off. I want to share this article in, uh, that was in the Chicago Crusader in reference to that election that just happened not too long ago. Um, that uh, Paul Vallis, who people from Philadelphia is familiar with because he came here and messed up the school system there and then went to New Orleans after Katrina and messed up the school system down there for black people. I didn't know where he went. He ended up in Chicago, and he was doing something. He might have been uh, the superintendent up there, Richard, but I knew he ran for mayor Mm -hmm. uh, against uh, uh, this guy Johnson that that beat him. Now, let me read this here because the header says, Black aldermen who endorse Vallis get $236,000 in campaign donations. It says, former mayoral candidate Paul Vallis directly or indirectly gave Two hundred and thirty-six thousand in campaign donations to seven black aldermen who endorsed him during his unsuccessful runoff campaign against upstart winner Brandon Johnson. The alderman was among uh, among dozens of black leaders heavily criticized and called sellouts as they supported Vallis, known as the Law and Order candidate. Vallis is backed by the Fraternal Order of Police over Johnson, a progressive black candidate whose platform addressed Chicago's crime problem by campaigning for increased funding for social programs. Vallis relied heavily on black aldermen and the black community leaders to win a piece of the black vote. The Crusaders' analysis shows Vallis won over 24% of the vote, but that wasn't enough to win the election. Despite numerous endorsements from black leaders, including retired Congressman Bobby Rush 
and Secretary of State Jesse White. In the latest filings after the April 4th runoff, records show huge Vallis campaign donations totaling $235,182 to Alderman uh, Michelle Harris, Anthony Beal, David Moore, Derek Curtis, and Emma Mitz. Vallis also gave donations to Alderman Sophia King's chief of staff, Prentice Butler, who lost his bid for the fourth ward to former state representative Lamont Robinson. Vallis also gave donations to Cedric Sawyer, the brother of Alderman Roderick Sawyer, who chairs the sixth ward. Vallis gave Cedric Sawyer two separate donations, totaling $67,000, which included a hefty $65,000 contribution in March 27th, according to campaign filings with the Illinois State Board of Elections. Alderman Harris received two separate uh, $15,000 donations, totaling $30,000 in campaign donations. Uh, in In a separate incident on April 20th, Vallis and Cook County Court filed a lawsuit against uh, Chima Boa Inaya, a political consultant who who is accused of defrauding his campaign of $680,000. Vallis alleged that Inaya falsely claimed the money was spent on getting out the efforts of Chicago's black community's votes. In the complaint, Inaya told the campaign he had effectively been given a blank check for $700,000 to do campaign work in black neighborhoods for the mayoral runoff. The lawsuit says Iaya was allegedly unable to account for $680,000 he received over a series of payments. Vallis' campaign is now pushing to recoup all of the money that was paid out. Vallis said in a statement that he was disappointed in the outcome of the hard-fought campaign, but didn't address the damning allegations. Hmm. Uh, Let me read this last paragraph here. On April 24th, Inaya, who reportedly has a staffer of, uh, was a staffer of former Governor Pat Quinn, responded in a statement that he will fight the shameful lawsuit, calling it unfounded, and absolutely unfair. In a press release sent to the Chicago Tribune through his attorney, James Dahl, Inaya said, I have known Vallis for years. I regard him as a trusted friend. He trusted me. Now I have provided him my help. Vallis wants to claw back my compensation. That's totally unfair. So we see here, Richard, that several high-powered black community officials in Chicago was paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to get out the black vote, which Malcolm said over 50 years ago is always the key factor in these elections. Mm-hmm. And it didn't come through, so now he's filing a lawsuit to get the money back. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, Richard, what does this look like, all of these black elected officials taking all of this money? This is not hey. alone in Chicago. It's happening all over the place. It's happening here. We got a, a primary election coming up in Tuesday with a record number of people running for mayor of Philadelphia. You don't think this is going on here, Richard? Oh, yeah, it's going on. I mean, oh, yeah. and it, this, in, it, this is a problem. 
This is why we need people cultivated from the community that has the community's interests at heart, not special interests, not religious organizations, a la Jews or anybody else, Catholics, Jews, Italian, whoever. Not special interest groups like LGBTQ or whatever that 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 is operating in the community's best interests. Because you can see just from this article alone that these people are operating in Paul Val's interest, and he had the money, so they were they was trying to get out the black vote to vote for this clown, mm-hmm. and it didn't work. Yep. Let's go to 215. 215? 215, are you there? Hey, Elliot, how you doing, Elliot? Uh, hear me, Elliot? Yeah, I can only hear you sound like your voice is muffled. Oh, yeah, I just saw you. <laughs> I did get the text you sent me, Elliot. I did get it today, Elliot. I did, I got, I'm back to fuck. At least I'm back to getting those now, Elliot. So I, did, I ain't a chance to look at it yet, but uh, I did get it. And that was, go ahead, what's your thoughts? See? Oh, thanks. Uh, and I had to have a brother to say first happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there that, you know, Mother's Day is every day. You know, Elliot, now you said Bobby Rush was one of the people, right? They took the money off of Alice. Yes. Yeah, he didn't all say right. how much he got, but he got some of that money. But, well, you know, it's always a suspicion with how many with Fred Hampton's situation. That always that, that still leaves a, a dark cloud over a lot, a lot of black folks in Chicago, especially older blacks. His history with the Black Panthers and stuff, you know, you know, you know, you know what I'm saying, right, Elliot? Yes. His with yes. Fred Hampton. Yes. So, so that, so that right there gets even, that gets further, makes people look at that Negro sideways and stuff, you know. But see, Elliot, it's sad. Now, here this Negro's talking about some he considered violence a friend, and now he's he says he said he considered violence a friend. He said now he's saying that uh, he should be compensated if you know, violence they could say want the money back. He said. He said, he, he said, he said, he said, he said, want the money back. He says, now, what, it, what that shows me, Ellie, like you said, how these niggas sell out people out and what traitors they are. And see, like, like Minister Burke said years ago, when a white man used these Negroes, I mean, it's clear as day. He said, when you have no more use for you, throw you right back in the laps of your people. Just like you see, don't you see an analogy, Ellie and Richard, when that, that photographer that was with Dr. King and them, and he was breaking bread with them, traveling with them. And they trust him because he was a black man. They figured he was cool to be to let them hang around and, and stuff. And come to find out, he was reporting back to Jan Hoover. So, so I'm saying, these niggas, they do so much damage to black people, man. That's why the white man has no respect for the people. Now, if he violates, he he pulling the wall off and he's letting the whole black community know what traitors these niggas are. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing, man. And, and of course, them Negroes now they want to cry the blues now and everything. No, no, y'all, enough y'all Negroes. And that go for Bobby Rush and the rest of them Negroes. The sister too that was taking the money. They're disgrace, man. That's why people can't get nothing done. They always do this. And like you told Brother Bishop just now, if you don't think that's happening in Philadelphia, of course it's happening in Philadelphia. These Negroes do the same thing. Here's all over the country. These Negroes sell out our people out. Behind closed doors, they make deals with, with these white racist politicians, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, as long as they get their, their, their pockets uh, uh, stuff, stuff they, they, they sell out people right down the drain. I mean, and, and, and it's disgraceful because in some of these cases, Ellen Richard, these people make good salaries, 100-something thousand, 200,000 a year, all the perks that go with it, and they still be doing unscrupulous stuff that they hurt their people, man. You know, I'm telling these niggas a disgrace, man, and, I'm, and, I continue, and I continue to say it to you and Richard and, 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 to, and the time with the missing audience. 
as long as black people keep voting for these individuals, I mean, I can make a broken record. I understand it so many times in your show, you can go and play old tapes. As long as you keep voting for Negroes like that on a city, state, and federal level, you're going to continue to get what you get. Everybody will come, will continue to come in this country and get ahead of us economically because your black, so-called black misleadership on a city, state, and federal level are selling you out. You saw writing full of, and I close with this, Alex. I know you're Richard Press for time. You saw that article in the Daily News not long ago where they said the income. This is this is really startling. Not startling, but it shows you how, how people, how we are, are behind the eight ball. That every group in the city, black, I mean white, uh, Latino, Asian, Indian, all of the per income capita rose 25% over the last 10 years, except for black people. Our income has not rose at all. And you wonder why we don't have no generational wealth while we live in abject poverty. I mean, I mean, I don't think you have to be a rocket scientist to, to, to figure that one out. When I mean, you got Negroes like you spent them at this race in Chicago, and you got the and you got the ones hands full up and all over selling black people. Is any wonder black people have no kind of generational wealth, man? Cause they don't put no kind of things in place to make sure black people have generational wealth. All the Negroes worth about is is, is is lining their own pockets, living good, so they can hand and grin in white folks' face. Why their own people continue to be poor and poor, have food deserts, poor schools, everything. I mean, I mean, it's, it's sad. I mean, it's, it's funny, but it's not funny. I mean, when you get that list, it's not only to the to the top of the list. On it's disgraceful, man. Them Negroes just hold their head in shame, but they're not. They they they, they, they no, no good Negroes. They all they gonna do is wait for the next white politician to sell out our people, man. And but as long as we keep on voting for these individuals, we're going to continue to get what we get. Couple of that, man. But look, at I, I know I, put, I know y'all pressed for time now. Just putting on mute, and I'll be missing the remaining few minutes of the show. Thank you for your contribution. Hey, you're welcome. Take care. Let's go to Newport News. Newport News. What's up, gentlemen? Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Hey, look, uh, I came in a little bit late, but I wanted to get on the record with this uh, because I, I heard uh, Mr. Burrell, you know, and I can remember when y'all talked to him almost two years ago, actually a little longer because it might have been as early as mid-2019 because I think I was explaining to you that I tried to get uh, Yvette Carnell them to back them. That was early on. As a matter of fact, that publicity lady, I can remember her first name is Patricia, but I can't remember her last name. Anyway, you know, those people ignored it. But I'm getting on to this part about this reparations thing. You know the back and forth that's been going on the last three or four years. I've been trying to track the money. And I'm going to give a shameless plug and tell you that I'm going to send you a Google Drive link to you and Richard for this. And you can share it with anybody. I did. I was instrumental in an interview that Darity did back in 2019, talking about these piecemeal reparations that's going around. Mm-hmm. And the way this comes back around is when you talk about the farmer, uh, how he told you that Stein Corporation, Stein Corporation is what number four or five or something like that. But my point is, they're all in the same fraternity. So no matter what their ranking is, they got one common goal, how to box you out. He went through all of that, talking about the technology is so good, they knew which things were were good and which ones were bad. So they made a conscious decision Mm -hmm. to sell them the substandard one. That is the history of America. Now, I'm going to tie this into something else real quick. You know, they put the documentary out on Clarence Thomas. I suggest to you from Frontline, I suggest everybody go see it. If you just listen to it like you always deconstruct stuff about uh, television, 
if you just listen to their narrative, they make Clarence Thomas a hero. But I'm going to tell you, 30 years ago, he made a statement that he felt when he got graduated from Yale University with a degree, he wasn't getting the job offers that he thought he should get. So watch this now. This is a Negro from Pinpoint, a little small rural town. Instead of blaming the system that wasn't offering him no jobs, he said it was affirmative action that tainted his existence. Now, I'm going to go somewhere with this to tell you. Y'all talk about this all the time. There is something that I learned as a young country black man. The bad thing about most black people that look for appeasement with white people is they don't understand. The taint starts with the fact that your ass is black and the descendants of people we enslaved. It doesn't matter what the rule is, what the game is you're involved in. They can't get over that part. It is a moral guilt, but it's not so morally imperative that they want to do anything to repair it. They want to maintain the status quo. So with that in mind, white supremacy owns both sides of everything. Now, I'm going to say this to you. I actually did a participated in a panel up at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst about five weeks ago. I taped it, and I want to send it to you. Because most of the people, when I researched them, when they showed me who was going to be on the panel, it was about eight or nine people on there uh, that talking about reparations. So I researched them before I participated. Long story short, I did about a 12-minute presentation, and I got on all of them because I told them, they are allowing white supremacy to define reparations the same way they define black or black American. Anything they choose it to be. We have yet to define ourselves and stick to it. To determine for ourselves what it is we choose to be called. We've been everything Negro, colored, mulatto, and a whole bit. But the most interesting thing is, among all of that that's going on between us, this is what I'm going to say to you. Look up the phrase liberation ventures. Liberation Ventures. I listened into a Zoom about three months ago, and the lady explained to me that they were uh, rich and wealthy individuals who decided to finance the fight for reparations. Now, the interesting thing about it is when you go and look up Liberation Ventures, I want you to look and see. That was the story that lady told on the Zoom. But through the miracle of Google, and you keep Googling, you'll end up finding out that this woman is backed by about 50 corporations, but she claims that they are individuals that are independently wealthy. In other words, white folks are on both sides of this fight. We're talking about whether or not somebody is black from their continent or black from here and there, and the point is they are owning and creating revenue streams while the bickering is going on. Get with that, and I'm going to tell you, the reason I say that is because uh, Darity talked me into going on to that reparations panel because I don't usually do public speaking. But I'm going to tell you, this is going to hit big, especially because of the kerfuffle with the California Reparations Task Force. I don't know if you watched that last meeting when the issue came up about the language not being specific enough in that bill. See, that was something that I got out of almost two years ago because we were in on trying to craft the language and they came up with that mess that Shirley Weber was talking about 
she had a phrase for special consideration. Well, I got booted out of a little meeting because I told her, look, I ain't no genius, but with the miracle of all the computer skills, I just put that phrase in looking for black law dictionary, international law, or anything. There is no legal definition of special consideration. In other words, it was a marketing scam. There is nothing binding about special consideration. That could be anything from naming a street after somebody to creating a honorary day in honor of them. You see where I'm going with this? Okay. So, so, so this whole fight is being monetized is what I'm saying. And uh, I'm working with some people, man. We might be having some public discussions about this. Y'all be strong. Love the work. You know this. Look, this last five years been a heck of a damn class for me. I tell you. It's better than a master class. I appreciate you, brothers. Be strong. One of these days, I'm going to press the flesh with y'all. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, thanks for your contribution. <laughs> let's go to let's go to five five oh five. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yes. Yeah, I just turned you on. Uh, late again. Uh, good show. I'm just get. I just turn you on. I almost. I'm always forgetting what time you come on. But hey, man, carry on. I'm listening. I'm listening. Thank you. Thanks, sir, for your contribution. Hey, listen. Send your email to uh, topforawakening at gmail dot com, and I'll make sure you get a notice. <laughs> okay, okay. Because see, I'm too. We we we're two hours behind your time. Okay. You know, and I keep getting the time, man. You know, I'm trying to catch up. Anyway, I appreciate it, man. Good show. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yes, sir. <laughs> Richard, come to Richard. another program, man. Um, uh, hopefully, we'll have a, a surprise guest next week. I, I got to see whether I'll get that confirmation email. If not, I know we're going to move forward with some of the uh, other folks we got lined up. Okay. Sounds good. And also, uh, uh, Dr. McKinney, uh, I guess she she's probably back now because when she was talk, talking about maybe coming on at 12 o'clock, she was still overseas. She might be back, so I'm going to reach out to her and see if, uh, see if she'll come on and uh, if she's back and uh, just talk about a few things. We haven't heard from her in a while. That's good. That's good. Yeah, so uh, listen, before we leave tonight, just want to uh, – Uh, give you the, the uh, abbreviated lineup on time for an awakening media Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. African Perspectives with Brother Oshi. Always interesting topics and dialogues on African Perspectives. Uh, Brother Oshi was away last week and he had a, uh, uh, a special co host that was uh, hosting his program. But I think he'll be yeah. back next week. So uh, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. African Perspectives with Brother Oshi. Uh, later on during the week, on Thursdays from 7 to 8, Mississippi on the move. Brother Patrick Lumumba and the Black Liberation Movement down in Mississippi. On Friday, Time for an Awakening is back from 8 until. And on Saturdays from 7 to 9, the Elders of Sankofa with Dr. Janine James. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. Lively discussion as always. And we'll be back on Friday, Lord willing to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. Peace. If you're driving through the country on a lazy afternoon, 
Thank you. 